The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Uh, well, this morning, thank you guys. Uh, this morning, we're continuing our series through the Apostles' Creed. Um, as you know, we've been going through that. If you've been with us for a little bit, you've known that we've spent several weeks walking through line by line the Creed. And, um, and last week, Pete uh, preached on the gift of the Holy Spirit to the church. And now today, we talk about the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints. So we're talking about the, the church today as we, as we go through the Creed and continue our series. And just a quick thing to mention is that as we do this, we're just reminded that this is a confession of faith from people, men, put this together in the years past. It's not infallible. It's not the Word of God. We're not preaching the creed, but rather we're using that as a map that points us to God's Word to distill the truths that we need to hear, the good doctrine about who God is and who we are through, um, through His Word. So let's go to our scripture for today, which is 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 10. And that's what we'll be talking about today. First Peter 2, verses 4 through 10. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not, had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So this is God's word, and this is, this is what teaches us about what we ought to believe about the church, the true Christian community, the church. As many of you may know, if you were able to be here last week on the 10th or have just heard, this morning is actually my first day as full-time staff here at Holy Cross. So today I'm starting full-time. Pete and the elders approved it, allowed me to come in and start full-time, and then he took off on a cruise, a Disney <laughs> cruise, so he left the church to me and James. Uh, he's on the Disney cruise. Janae and the kids were here first service, but I'm just kidding. No, they're together with the extended family, so we wish them well. Um, this last Thursday, just a few days ago, I woke up at the fire station and drove away for the last time from the career I had for nine years before this as a firefighter. Uh, my last shift was Wednesday, and so I woke up that morning, packed up my stuff, and left and drove away. And there was something this morning that kind of reminded me about those early days in academy when I first got hired as a firefighter, this sort of paranoia that I might sleep in too late and not be prepared and not be ready. Academy started at 6 a.m. that morning, so that, that first week I had alarms set in different places in the house, because if you didn't wake up and get there on time well before 6 a.m., you'd 
probably get fired. So that's what we were really scared of. So that first week of being in academy, uh, we had our uniform on, which was basically like a red shirt uh, and PT shorts. The red shirt is kind of like, hey, that's a new guy. He's dangerous. Stay away from him. He doesn't know anything yet. He's not trained. And so we, um, this is what we wore in academy the first week. We also have like the dress shirt, you know, the button down with the badge that you can think of makes us look more like police officers than we'd like. But anyways, we had that button down shirt and we had that in our cars. We were supposed to bring that and have that on hand. We're standing there at attention in the room. First couple of days, they say, all right, everyone get outside, get in your blues, get in your class A. And so we go, we run out there, kind of hot and sweaty, messy from the day, put on our blue shirt, come back in class, and we're standing at attention and hanging out. And then the Captain Cassidy, the recruit training officer, starts yelling because someone forgot it. So he says, someone thought it was not that big of a deal to look like everyone else. So if you don't all look the same, we're going to make you all look the same. So take your shirts off and get back into the red shirts. Problem was, I took mine off in the car and just put the button down on, no shirt. So I'm panicking a little bit because I'm like, oh no, what do we do? I look over, the guy next to me did the same thing, and he's taking his shirt off. So I take the shirt off, and there's me and John Young in the back of 23 people in the room standing there, boots, trousers, no shirt, and everyone else has the red shirts on. So what was bad went to worse. Um, <laughs> the good news was I wasn't the only one who forgot. The bad news was John was a competition bodybuilder before he started the fire service. So I am standing there. Um, but anyways, yeah, just funny story, funny memories from our history, our past. See, it's these funny stories and these experiences we have with others that often connect us. Uh, these shared experiences that we have, these shared history that shape our sense of belonging to something. Something like in the fire service. So let's say I meet a firefighter from another place. We have kind of a shared story, a shared history, and there's a certain element to which we know each other already a little bit because we know we've had that shared experience. We share a similar history. And I think we all experience this in different ways, different stories that we have, different stories that have knit us together to the people around us, whether it's work, family, politics, our race, being an American, we're all connected. But today what we're talking about is a community, a belonging that is completely unlike any other experience in earth on earth that we know of. It can have some apparent similarities where we belong and share community with people, but it's entirely different than any community we've ever belonged to. And the reason for this, the reason the Christian community, the church of Jesus Christ, is different than anything else rests in its identity as being holy. Rests in an understanding that it's holy. So what does that mean that it's holy? What does that mean and why does it matter? So what we're talking about today. We see in the creed that we've been going through the statement that the church is holy, Catholic, and is a communion of saints. Each of those words are important, necessary words to describe the nature of the church, to, just, to elaborate on and clarify for us what it means that it's holy, the holy nature of the church. Some of these words are a little antiquated words we don't use a lot or are used in different contexts that we're not used to. So I think I have a little bit of work to do for definitions because we might be confused. I'm afraid some people might leave thinking like that the sermon was on learning how to take communion from the saints in the Catholic Church. That's not, that's not what we're talking about today. It's a little different. 
but we'll get to them. We'll get to the definitions as we go. So to start, understanding this idea of holiness, as we begin to understand this idea of holiness, we see that the idea that building a church and having a people for his own possession was God's idea. It started with God. It's his plan. So let's look at verse 4 through 6 again. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, built in the sight, of, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And in verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you, may, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God, in this passage, what Peter's showing us is that God is building something. This imagery of a building, stones being put together into this edifice, is, it just drips of God's intentionality. Think of what it takes to build a building, an architecture, an engineer, building and foresight and planning, some intentionality. And that he's planned this through Jesus from before time. The story of the holy church begins with who God is and what he has planned. We see this, we actually see this in the creed as we've been going through it. This is what the authors of the creed, the people who came together to create it and confess it, something that we would say throughout the church history, is telling this story. The creed is essentially telling the story of God. It follows, if you notice, it starts with God, the maker of all things, and flows through Jesus, who he is and what he's done, and then on to the gift of the Holy Spirit. It moves from the holy, communal, triune, eternal nature of God to, holy, to the holy, communal people of God. It goes right from who God is to who the people are that he's created. And so for us to get how radical and miraculous our part, our place in the holy church is, we need to take a look at our story, but not our job story, not our race story, not our, not our shared family history, but the story that the Bible tells about our humanity. We have to go back all the way to the garden. We see when God created all things that Man and woman, Adam and Eve, lived in perfect union, community, shalom, peace with God, where they trusted Him and had everything that they need, but they rebelled against Him. Back in Genesis 3, through Adam and Eve's rebellion, the world became broken and cursed and destined for death, an eternal death, an eternal separation from God. In that moment, Humanity was changed, was forever separated from the holiness of God. Because of sin, we have no hope in and of ourselves from then or ever since to ever dwell again with a holy and perfect God as He is. We are separated from that. In that moment, as sin entered the world, our story of humanity dramatically changed. What was a story of peace and unity and trust Harmony with God, each other, and creation became a story of self. 
Exchanging trust in God for trust in ourselves. Exchanging reliance on God for reliance, self-reliance, reliance on ourselves. Our story changed from a God-centered existence, an existence that thrived on relationship with God, to a self-centered existence. I don't think we have to look very far through the history of the world or in our culture today that shows us this. I think we see it around us loud and clear. All of our communities and institutions and academia and just the messaging of our culture it tells us that our goal in life and that everything that we should be looking for and moving for in life is to become a better version of ourselves, a more authentic version of ourselves. Do this because it makes you feel good. Volunteer because it's good for you. It's good for your place in humanity. It gives you some transcendence. We're told to feel good about ourselves. The message of our day, right, is you do you. You do you. But the fruit of this is independence and isolation, not a healthy independence, an unhealthy independence, isolation. I think today we're seeing the most pervasive loneliness the world has ever seen in the midst of the most connectedness and information we've ever had at our, at our fingertips. It's the most disconnected we've ever been. I think it's the fruit of this story of self. Sadly, the church isn't too far off in many ways. So much of the church today is filled with the same story. It's informed by the same story where consumerism, the consumeristic mindset, runs rampant. There's a theologian named Albert Moeller, and this is what he says as he talks on this same topic. He says, There's an unbearable lightness to what we as evangelicals often believe to be the church. It's a voluntary association. It's where Christians who have similar beliefs happen to gather together for whatever we happen to do whenever we happen to gather together. It's where we are because we like the music, because we like the preaching, because we like the people, we like the chairs, we like the temperature. And it's where we're not because we don't like the pastor, we don't like the preaching, we don't like the people, we don't like the music, and so on and so on. It's all about us, our schedules, our preferences, our kids' desires, our affinities, our our craving sameness. But Peter tells us in this passage that there is a different story. There's a better story. That God had a plan from before time. As soon as the great rebellion happened in Genesis 3, God promises amidst his curse, he's cursing Satan after this fall, and he he embeds in that a promise. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is what theologians refer to as the proto-evangelium, evangelium. It's a fancy word for the earliest pronouncement of the gospel. It's the good news that God has a plan and a means for reconciling us to him, redeeming us from not being holy, from being separate from him to being holy, his holy people like he is. This promise to us becomes more and more clear as God's word continues. So as we read the meta narrative, the story of the Bible, we see God making good on this promise. In Genesis 12 through 15, we see God coming to Abraham, entering into a covenant with him, which is a bond of friendship and unity and peace, and promising to create a people through his descendants. A people through whom the entire, he says, the entire world will be blessed through your descendants. 
through seeing and hearing the testimony of who God is. We know that through his family, the gospel will be spread to the world, and that will bless, profoundly bless the world. Throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we see the people of God grow in number and unfaithfulness at the same time. But God's faithfulness only intensified. You see God enter in. He's present. He's with them. He's merciful. He's gracious. He judges their sin, but he stays true to his promise. All to the point of becoming a man, Jesus Christ on this earth. His presence, he took his promise so seriously, he became a man to dwell on earth with us. He didn't leave his people. He came to dwell among them and live the perfect life that we could never live. So Jesus, back to that promise in the garden, Jesus is this promised offspring of Eve that will crush the head of Satan, crush the head of the serpent. He is the better Adam who was perfect and holy. He was perfect and holy. And yet he died on the cross and received the wrath that we deserved, the wrath of God in our place. As Jesus died on the cross, rose again, and ascended to be with the Father and ushered in the Holy Spirit, he profoundly changes the story of those who believe. He called his disciples and commissioned them to spread. So he called followers to follow him, his, the disciples. They left everything and followed him, and he commissioned them to spread the good news of, of hope in a new story, a story of eternal joy through peace with God and adoption into his family through faith in him. So Jesus initiated the church, the church that we're talking about today, the holy church. Jesus initiated this as an expression of the people of God. And the promise given to Abraham and his family that their people would be God's people and that they would outnumber the stars in the sky now was set to exponentiate. What started as a family grew and became a people, became a nation, And now through Jesus, the Savior of man, it's expanding to every nation, every tribe, and every tongue who puts their faith in him. So it's through faith in who Jesus is and what he did that we become the people of God. We become his body. We become his family. We become his temple, like this passage is talking about. We become his church. What was a story of despair, destruction, Isolation, loneliness, and death becomes, in Jesus, a story of adoption, peace, belonging, Christ-centered, meaningful connectedness, and hope for our eternal good and God's eternal glory. And this, all of that backstory about God having a plan that we see evidence of in this passage, we see that God had a plan, and all of what we see through Christ. God working out that plan through Jesus is why is how we get to the, the fact that we call the church Catholic. This is why we call us a communion of saints. It has to do with Jesus. Bear with me. Catholic is simply a word that means universal. You've seen it as we've recited the creed. There's a little asterisk and a note on the bottom that says little c Catholic, the universal church. This can be confusing because we think of Rome. We think of Roman Catholic Church. But as the Roman Catholic Church grew and became an institution, it named itself as the institution, the big C Catholic Church, believing itself as the institution to be the only true church. But the Catholic, the Catholicity, the universality of the church is not bound to an institution. It's not a brand. 
It's not dependent on our nationality, our pedigree, our ethnicity, our family history. It's dependent on one thing, and it's not a thing. It's a person. The better Adam, the perfect man, our only hope in life and death, Jesus. There's one church across the geography of the world and across all time, past, present, future, because there is one Lord. Jesus is the one true head of the true church. That's how it can be universal and Catholic, because there's one Lord. Through faith in Jesus, the hero of our broken story, we join His church, which is an eternal communion of the saints. It's a collection who share in common sainthood through Jesus. So we join Peter, our author today. We join Paul, Matthew, Mary, Martha, the woman at the well, Priscilla and Aquila, Augustine, Martin Luther, John Wesley, Elizabeth Elliot, your grandmother who preached the gospel to you, your grandparent, your saintly parent, your friend, your pastor, we join them, the people who pointed you to Jesus and believe in him. And we join each other in the communion of the saints. The word saint simply means set apart one. It comes from the Latin word sanctus. It's where we get, if you've heard the word, being in the church, sanctified, the progressive work of the Holy Spirit conforming us to Christ's likeness and holiness. Sanctified, being set apart, it comes from the same word. It means the same thing, holy. You see this if you know Spanish, too. If you think about Spanish, the word holy is santo. It comes from the same root in Latin. A saint is someone who has been called out of the story of the curse and into God's gracious, redemptive story. Sainthood, therefore, if we're called out, if we're set apart by something other than ourselves, sainthood is not something we achieve. It's not something we attain to. It's not reserved for ministers or the really super generous, the extra giving. It's not Christianity 2.0. It's not something we do or buy into. It's not a membership do. It's given. It's given to us. It's given to those who know that they are utterly unworthy of God's favor. It's given to the humble who, by the power of the Holy Spirit, see that self-reliance may lead in this world to prosperity, productivity, wealth, achievement, notoriety, transcendence in an earthly sense. But all of that that we can accomplish through our own power, the Bible says, is like filthy rags in God's economy. Saints are those who know they have a desperate need of Jesus' perfect record transferred to them. This is what it means to be a saint, to know you need Jesus' record. And they completely rest and rejoice in that. And so the Holy Church is the ever-growing collection of the rugged, humbled, helpless ones who together are called out to live in a shared story of gifted gifted, bestowed upon sainthood by looking to the gospel and rejoicing in the eternal glory, not of their individual selves, but the eternal glory of their Lord, Jesus Christ. We share this in common. We share the same identity through Jesus. We share the same trajectory of our story. All of this, then, is why Peter in our passage uses the word, calls Jesus a cornerstone the cornerstone of the building, the centerpiece on whom the structure and the integrity of the church depend. No cornerstone, 
in a building, no building. It all falls apart. No Jesus, no sainthood, no part in the church. And Peter goes on to tell us what this building is for in our passage as Jesus is building, God is building this building of, of individual lives, what our story is for, what the church is for. He's saying that the church is being built up in connected Christ-likeness for the glory of God to be proclaimed in and throughout the entire earth, the entire world. Our holiness, our sainthood, our membership in His holy church is for His glory. He makes us holy to tell and show the world that He is holy. When we consider this, when we think about this, God's mission for us as the church and how He uses us, this doesn't permit us, this keeps us from veering into individualistic thinking about our sainthood. That the purpose of God's grace to us as individuals doesn't remain individuals. It comes to us as individual persons, it comes to us uniquely and personally, but it doesn't remain there. It doesn't remain in the isolation of one person's life. In other words, we're not just saved so that we can go to heaven. We are. That is true. It is that. But it's more. It's participation in God's witness to His glory in all the earth for all of eternity. It's participation with Christ in the cosmic, eternal mission of God. We've been saved from a story of self into something so much bigger than ourselves. So because of that, to think about that, the gospel is the big movement of God for all of eternity in redeeming a people for himself to forsake the communal nature of our identity in Christ, which is like God himself, being communal and in interconnected, loving relationship, is to forsake the fullness of the gospel itself. In other words, to believe in just an individualistic gospel is to truncate or shorten or minimize the entirety and pervasiveness of the gospel. So as we wrap up and inevitably, inevitably think about what we do with this as we leave and we go into the week and how this should shape us, I want to share a quote from Pete in his sermon last week when he was talking about the Holy Spirit. This is what he said, In the life of a Christian is a tremendous conflict. The Bible describes that inside the heart of a Christian is a war, a war between, between what Jesus is working in us through the Holy Spirit and what sin is working in us. The battle results in spiritual, emotional, and physical fatigue. I'm feeling a little bit of physical fatigue now. I've never done this before. Isn't that the truth? Do you feel that? If you're a Christian, don't you feel that? Don't you feel that tension in our, between our sainthood and the sinful flesh that we're still pinned to? But here's the consolation, the good news of this passage to us is that we are not on our own. The identity, our identity as the Holy Church, the communion of the saints, is not just a general truth. The mission of God in the world is not just something He's doing out there in general to think of accomplishing macro style. It's happening among a particular people called together, called together people in a particular place in a particular time. Look around. That's us. Look at your neighbor. That's us here, real lives, real people here and now, this story is being worked out together with the communion of the saints. Our holy identity as a church is for sure for God's glory, but it's also for our good. 
It's a tremendous gift to us. It's an irreplaceable gift to us, being the church, the communion of the saints. We, and I mean I, first and foremost, as we talk about this, need to be reminded constantly of the gospel. And God's given me and you a church of people to do that with here at Holy Cross. I don't know if you've noticed this, but we so easily revert back to our fleshly muscle memory of self-reliance, self-trust, self-serving, comfort-seeking, anxiety, worry, control. We always retreat into this. Our flesh tempts us, pulls us from the truth of God. But God's given us a people A royal priesthood is what he's been establishing under the chief priest, Jesus, to pray for us, to remind us of the good news in these daily battles. We're used profoundly in each other's life as the communion of the saints who gathers on Sunday mornings and in life groups during the week and in personal relationships in life. He's given each other to each other. If we really believe the miracle of our redeemed story our new nature as the communion of the saints in the Holy Catholic Church, our redeemed story that God has saved us from and what He saved us into, the question isn't how often we should go to church or if you have to or if it's legalistic to say you should. The question we ask ourselves is why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we go to church? Why wouldn't we give our lives to taking advantage of every single opportunity and pathway we have of being reminded of this story from each other, being sharpened in the story of the gospel every chance we get? That's what we live for. If we really believe what we've been saved from and what we've been saved to, death, destruction, despair, life, peace with God forever. Our hearts and our lives are weak, but Jesus is strong. And it's in the community of the saints we gather to proclaim on Sunday mornings, like I said, and remind each other of Jesus' strength on our behalf. If we're in community, we can't fool ourselves with self-reliance, self-dependence, self-centeredness. And it's in the community of the saints we gather during the week to help each other weave the gospel into the fabric of our daily lives, to apply, to sharpen each other with the gospel in the everyday stuff of life that works out our areas of unbelief. And we come, we're a priesthood. We bring the truth to one another. We intercede for each other and we pray to our chief priest, Jesus, the cornerstone of our church. When we consider the grace God's given us by making us his people through Jesus, the cornerstone, we begin to crave it. We begin to crave the communion of the saints. Something we need, something we want, something we hunger for to point us to Jesus. Holy Cross, part of the Holy Catholic Church, in Christ our cornerstone, live as God's holy called out people with me. Magnify God's glory with me. Engage in God's mission with me. And so to wrap up today, I want to uh, participate with joy in the past, present, and future communion of the saints as we, through faith in Jesus, confess the words of the saints who made this creed, who wrote this creed and passed before us and has been said through the history of the communion of the saints gathering together to confess the Lord Jesus as the Lord of the church, God, the maker of heaven and earth. So let's do that now. Let's recite the creed together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. 
I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.